Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. It is September. We've got the three of us together. We've had a little bit of time off, and there's probably some good reasons for that. It's kind of a slow time of year. But we are here for you, excited to talk about not just movies, but we got TV stuff to talk about. We got all kinds of things. There's going to be a, we, we kind of each have, I think th- this with this episode, we're going to kind of report on, on what we've been doing lately and, and kind of see where the discussions take us. It's kind of excited, a little bit open-ending. Open-ended. Uh, yes. It's an open-ending. No, it's, <laughs> it's open-ended. It's open to interpretation. And... It is well, 9.30 I mean, let at us night. know what your thoughts are down below. <laughs> no, no, but what how have how, th- been how have things been going? It has, it has been a couple weeks since we got together. How have things been going, guys? Good. Oh, it's been going great. I'm really happy the weather turned cooler i've just been getting tired of this 100 degree weather so today was awesome yeah it lasted a little longer than usual so i'm i am grateful and and happy that fall fall is here in uh many many ways we got some nice rain up here i I gotta get all like bundled up in my hoodie and everything and yeah no it's it feels it because the semester i mean i'm still kind of referencing my life based on the new semesters and stuff. And we're you sure. know, partway through the third week of, of fall semester now. And so it's nice to actually have to kind of feel like it's actually turning into fall now instead of that obligatory first little stretch where, of course, in this case, it's like, it's still 100 degrees outside. I can't believe this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but enough about the weather. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's report in. So I think uh, uh, we've all been doing, kind of covering some, some odds and ends. And, and I think... I don't know. It sounds like we all have some positive things to recommend. So I think uh, let's get to the good stuff and and get our audience some recommendations. Mark, you want to kick us off? Yes. Yeah, I will. I um, finally, well, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks now, but I I watched the TV series Severance, uh, which came out in February on Apple TV. Um, And uh, it did well enough that it was renewed for a second season very quickly. I believe it was in April. So I'm already looking forward to the second season, especially with how the first season ends. Um, let me tell you a little bit about what it's what it's about. It's it's kind of a corporate dark comedy um, about this corporation called Lumens, and that they allow workers to voluntarily, allegedly, undergo a severance procedure in their brain, in which it's a type of brain surgery where their work lives and their home lives are completely separated. Like they have no their work persona, the person at work has no memory or even knowledge about what their life is like outside of work and vice versa. So, I mean, you could see the kind of questions that this, this would lead mm. to. Um, it stars Adam Scott, who I think is perfect in the role. And he is, I would almost say he's kind of like a Ben Stiller prototype because it's, it's created and directed. Many of the episodes are directed by Ben Stiller. Oh. And so, uh, you know, I think he has a little bit of a he has a very similar vibe on screen, I think, as, yeah. as a younger Ben Stiller. Um, maybe not that much younger, but anyway. <laughs> and, you know, we know Adam Scott as Ben sure. Wyatt from Parks and Rec, uh, you know, mm-hmm. which is just more of a straight-up comedy, you know, a mockumentary-style comedy like The Office. This this is mostly a drama, kind of thriller, mystery, but it does have some pretty funny parts in it, um, per, you know, elements of, of comedy and just how it makes fun of, like, the corporate world and what motivates people to work um, and what would it be like to not, not know who you're out, who you're out or, well, 
And the, the, what they use in the show is Audi and Innie. So the version of you that, work, that is your home version of, your, of, your, of you is your Audi, and your, your work version is your Innie. So they'll even talk about their other person without really knowing what they're like. Cool. Um, and so it's, it's great. And it has John Turturro, Christopher Walken, um, a newcomer named Britt Lower, who's, who's great. In fact, the series kind of starts with her. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I mean, so it's like a sci-fi office space. Yeah, kind of. I mean, Basically. Office Space is more slapsticky. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, but also, it makes you know makes fun of office culture and yeah. Uh, but but this one, I mean, it's it's really interesting. And I, of course, I don't want to spoil anything. But the way that it ends, it almost raises more questions than it answers, but not maddeningly so. Like it yeah. really, it, you can't wait for the next season to start because there are some pretty big revelations. And it's one of those things where. A few of the revelations that you find out are things that you know that the characters, or at least both versions of the characters in the TV in the series, don't know. But then there's other things that we all kind of find out at the same time as the characters. Um, and so, you know, it's it's just like it's a very anti-corporate movie, which is interesting because it's made by <laughs> Apple. Um, I mean, it's on Apple TV, but also, you know, like. How it's not far a documentary it... anymore. It's just straight documentary. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I mean, how far will corporations go to like dehumanize their workers for profits? And yeah. it almost takes it to an absurd extreme. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, I actually uh, just was reading an article with my with my students yesterday. Um, we were going through just kind of doing some rhetorical analysis stuff, and it was an article about corporations that are obligating their employees to kind of track their biometrics, like with, I mean, the I think the thing they were referring to is Fitbits. I don't know if it was literally Fitbits, but oh. the idea is, you know, what's what's appropriate in terms of, you know, what kind of monitoring and surveillance and that kind of thing. And it sounds like uh, wow. one of those deals where there's there's probably more truth to the to the show than than we might like to admit or real or realize. Mm. Okay. But, yeah. No, but I'll I, have to check that out because because we've talked about it before, and I yeah. that sounds like a really cool show. So hopefully, yeah, uh, no, before absolutely. the second season comes out, I can I can get a chance to check out the first one. So yeah. So what I, else? I think uh, it's worth it. it. I mean, if you get to, I think even after the first episode, you'll it, it'll you'll be kind of hooked, you know. And the nice thing about TV series nowadays, and and they're such high quality, um, because a lot of money is spent on TV series. I mean, in many cases, more. They have bigger budgets than movies. They they let them kind of have the slow burn, you know, pacing. And I think some movies these days are almost too fast. They're trying to cram too many things into two hours. Mm. Um, and so this is one of those that I think is very very high production values. I mean, it doesn't have the budget of like Rings of Power, you know, the new Lord of the Rings or anything. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's it has movie kind of a cinematic quality to it. Cool. Um, well, speaking of cinematic, speaking of cinema, I think it's yes. it's time for you to talk about the thing that I'm <laughs> excited for you to talk about. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So let me preface this by saying <laughs> I'm not a Trekkie. Um, I, I will probably say things wrong Says and not fully understand things. Uh, Understood, counselor. Flying gone and the reason uh, is the, uh... I know many Trekkies. Uh, not many, but I have a few in my life. And in fact, my brother kind of calls himself a half Trekkie. I can't remember what he said, but he, he's partly, he's partly a Trekkie. So kind of like Spock. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who is part, uh, 
human, well, Vulcan human, but like <laughs> we, um, we saw uh, the 40th anniversary re-release of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And this was my first time seeing it. So, uh, you know, I, I think I was one of the, probably the few in the theater who hadn't seen it before. I think many of the, many of the people had probably seen it as, as you had, right. my brother-in-law. Um, and I was, you know, I was pleased to hear it was not very similar to the first movie. Because I do remember how slow and dull the first one was. Star right. Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. Um, this one had a much, uh, very interesting kind of backstory. And I think, as you pointed out, it's really a sequel to a Star Trek TV episode uh, called Space Seed. that uh -huh. came out in about 1967. Um, and uh, really, it's, you know kind of involves and I don't want to like give too much away but it has all of the kind of the main characters you get in Star Trek like Spock and Captain Kirk and Chekhov mm -hmm. and um, and I love one of the things I like about it is there's quite a, kind of a lot of literary references there were some things yeah. said in the movie that I thought were Shakespearean and it turned out to be uh, Melvillian I guess <laughs> you could say um, Moby Dickian and, yeah yeah Moby Dickian <laughs> from uh, Melville and and uh, lines from Dickens, mm -hmm. Dickensian, I think that's an adjective. And um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a, of a convoluted plot, but, and, and I think you had seen it at least once or twice before, right? Um, was this? Me? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, so I've seen it probably dozens of times. Um, Whoa. Yeah, okay. No, I. This Trekkie is showing. Well, you are. Yeah, I mean, more, more of a Trekkie than Mark for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I also never really got into a lot of the later series. I mean, I grew mm -hmm. up. the The original series was always on reruns on Saturday afternoons, and so I saw a lot of those. And of course, that was at the same time that the the original cast movies were coming out, and so I saw those. Um, by the time the next generation got going. I mean, it was fine. I liked it, but I never really kind of got into it. Um, okay. But no, part of the reason I've seen it so many times is because I wrote a paper about it in grad school. And that was that was what I found really interesting is, I mean, the, I mean, the, the simplest way to describe the plot is that a past villain from a previous Star Trek TV episode comes back to get his revenge on Kirk and the crew for you know, foiling his plans 15 years earlier and, you know, kind of yeah. hij hijacks a ship and tries to steal this doomsday weapon and all this. And, uh, and yeah. Khan is the name of the villain. He's played by Ricardo Montalban and he's just, just one of the best villain performances ever. I mean, he is having mm -hmm. such a good time and he's so <laughs> chewing up the scenery, chewing up the scenery, but, <laughs> but in a way that he's not, he's not overacting. He's, he's just, you know, embracing it and just relishing what he's doing. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I was kind of in a position in a grad school class where I had to write about, uh, some, some kind of, uh, something related to kind of Chicano nationalism and Mexican American relations, that kind of thing. And, and so I wound up writing about Ricardo Montalban because he's a Mexican American actor mm. and, and kind of focused it around the movie, which was, really interesting, but I got so fixated on that stuff that it was actually really, really fun with you, Mark, because I actually was seeing the movie 
kind of not just through your eyes through seeing it the first time, mm-hmm. but I never really looked into the the literary interpretation, the way that, you know, you have uh, Khan is always quoting Melville mm-hmm. and specifically the, you know, Captain the Captain Ahab who's just driven mad by revenge. Yeah. But then all of the Dickens references are basically coming from Spock. And when you see what happens in the movie, just in case anybody hasn't seen it, because I totally would recommend that you do. Um, mm-hmm. Just the kind of the contrast between the characters that are being uh, echoed and referenced was was really cool. Just because I hadn't noticed. I mean, I knew that there were Dickens references and I knew there were Melville or Melville references, but I'd never really connected the, the dots that way. So, well, and, I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I connected them as well as you thought. Because I think if you recall in the theater, I I, I thought he was quoting some kind of Shakespeare because he sure. said the. And then I, you know, I, I looked it up because he said, uh, you know, from hell's heart I stab at thee. Yeah. From my with my last breath I spit at thee. You know, and I'm like I wonder what he's doing. That does sound very and, Shakespearean, honestly. But when you realize, oh, sure. yeah. I'm like, is that iambic pentameter? But when you realize, <laughs> like he he's he's because think about it, he has been stewing over this for 15 years. He yeah. was banished to a planet, right. so he wasn't killed, but he was Captain Kirk like exiled him on, uh-huh. on a planet where they couldn't escape for 15 to years. To a library? Uh, well, there were a lot of books there, but luckily... <laughs> they, he had uh, like seven books on his shelf because they actually have right. a shot where you see yeah. Moby Dick you on his shelf. Okay. Yeah, because so, I was wondering. I'm like, like where like did this come from? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, though, and then like he kind of, he uses a little bit of deception to get to, to be able to get to where he can get back again at Captain Kirk. And and it's yeah. like a voice from the past for Captain Kirk. It's like, right. oh my gosh, I never thought I'd see this guy again. But yeah, he if you think of how obsessed Captain Ahab is with mm-hmm. getting the white whale, that's sort of how Khan is right. with Absolutely. getting at Captain Kirk. Yeah. No, it's it, it's and and really, I mean, among the Star Trek movies, I still have a hard time accepting the argument that there's any that are better than than Wrath of Khan. Um I mean other ones I've really enjoyed. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the the new series that J.J. Abrams did. Uh, they look fantastic. The characters were a lot of fun. Um, but just for just kind of the story and characterization and, and all that kind of thing and, and, and the themes, um, Rathacon, it was it was fun to be able to see it in the theater. I, I was a tad disappointed if I have to be at least a little bit critical because when I saw E.T. with my nieces, that was like full-blown IMAX and just the sound was... Mm-hmm. amazing and overwhelming um Rathacon was not more, great yeah it was yeah. just well it, i think it was just kind of a standard theater presentation right. and so it was good it just wasn't the larger than life thing that et was i i think we're so used to great sound with some of these theaters we go to with that one it was almost like mono it almost wasn't even yeah. stereo and right. i I mean i could understand you know 95 percent of it and stuff but normally like movies are so loud like it's yeah sometimes it's almost like could you turn it down just a little bit? Right, but there were a right. few times where I was like straining to hear, you know, what the characters were saying. But yeah. Well, and then I mean, obviously, Mark, you you know, you guys you guys are not obligated, but I I believe that the next one coming up, they're gonna because they're gonna keep doing this, and I think they're gonna do Poltergeist in October. They um, are. So I might I might go yeah. check that one out to see the uh, the next Megaplex 40th anniversary feature, and mm-hmm. look to see how that's how that's presented now. They are doing Jaws as well, and that one I believe is in IMAX. Um, I haven't caught that yet, 
I mean, maybe mm-hmm. one of these days you should see something new. Yeah. Just <laughs> Another <laughs> thing I, I really paid attention to on this one is I thought the writing was, was good. I, I mean, they really delineate yeah. what kind of, what the characters would, would say, you know, how Spock would act versus the Doctor. The Doctor is always just overcome with rage and emotion. <laughs> Doctor, uh, I can't remember his name, but... Dr. McCoy. Uh, Bones. Dr. McCoy. Yeah. Yeah, Bones McCoy. Yeah. But then um, Spock, of course, is is the just eminently always logical, uh-huh. almost robotic creature that, that has a heart. You know, he does what's right, but everything is about logic. And he, you can even take the most emotional decision a person or a Vulcan could make, and he, he, he's, he is able to convince people in the, you know, in the movie that it's a logical decision. And he's right. Yeah, but it's interesting because many people wouldn't wouldn't frame it that way, and it's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to give it away, and I don't know why it's forty years old. But you know, if you want people to see a movie, you try not to spoil it for them. Yeah, yeah. No, I and I think I mentioned this to you, but I think that those two characters in particular are meant to kind of be the two angels on Kirk's shoulder. Right. Not necessarily oh, yeah. that one is good and evil, but just that it the almost kind of yeah, emotion yeah. versus kind of practicality and logic, and mm-hmm. uh, and so that and he's that friends. Much yeah, and he's friends with both of them. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, he's his most trusted advisor probably is Spock, but then also he has friendly, almost like in his own quarters or his own house, you know, discussions with with Doctor McCoy. Yeah, um, on his on his birthday, and so yeah, I I think it's uh, it's it's it was good, very well, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you felt like it was worth your worth your time and it wasn't just mm-hmm. me dragging you off to something that I had a particular affection for. Um, so maybe I'll, uh, I'll go next and, uh, and bring up, cause I, I've been seeing a couple things, not so much movies. Now I am, I'm going to be going to see uh, a new horror movie next week, which we'll probably talk about in our next episode. Um, but uh, more recently I watched the uh, season five of Cobra Kai um, which has been actually, I, I saw the trailer for season five and wasn't very impressed and kind of thought, Oh, I wonder if this is going to be starting to kind of run out of gas a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the season itself, the episodes themselves, there's, you know, about, uh, I think it's about 10 episodes per season. And this one was a lot of fun is just as good as, as some of the ones that I've already seen. It's, it's, it's such a difficult experience to describe because I mean, they really mind the nostalgia um, but oh, gotta. right. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole point of where, I mean, that's the origin of it, yeah. but, but what I love so much, and I think I might've mentioned this before is just how not only do they, you know, cause they're just determined to bring back every possible actor from any of the original movies. And you know, we see more of them in season five as well, but, uh, just what they've done with the Johnny Lawrence character is, is so much fun because, you know, I, I think that the original Karate Kid is one of those movies that when you watch it as a kid versus an adult, you see different things. And, mm. and I loved it both times, but when you watch Karate Kid as an adult, it's easy to see that he's probably responsible for at least more than 50% of his own problems. Like he's kind of, you know, cause I mean, he's a teenager and he's an idiot and you know, everybody, we all did dumb stuff when we were that age. And, and, and so there's an argument to be made that, that Johnny is not quite the supervillain that he's presented as. And that's kind of what this series is, is unpacking is, you know, well, what, 
what what's life like from his perspective and mm. uh and so what they've done with his character both in terms of kind of like this moral ethical type thing but then just just the fun of the characterization because they present him as this guy who's basically been frozen in time since the mid 1980s and somehow has missed like the internet and all technology and <laughs> He's, he's unfrozen. Hey, it was easy to miss, okay? Oh, God. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's really weird, but but uh, I really did enjoy this the season quite a bit. Um, the way, I guess, if anybody is still debating about whether to see it, whether to watch it, because I was actually talking to a friend just yesterday who hasn't watched it yet, and I was trying to persuade him to, to go down the rabbit hole, but uh, I would almost describe it as similar to the experience you have watching the Fast and Furious movies, where they are very consciously dumb, right? Mm -hmm. They know that they're over the top. They know that they're unrealistic. They know that they're ridiculous, but they're having so much fun with it. And because they're transparent with it, it's, they can get away with it because you don't feel like somebody's trying to pull the wool over your eyes and, and get away with something. You just, it, they're kind of saying, Hey, let's just go have some fun and just do like the craziest thing we can possibly come up with. And, and with, with Cobra Kai, you know, it's it's not, you know, souped up, tuned Japanese cars. It's, you know, it's kind of this these this crazy fights and implausible matchups and and twists and turns of soap opera like drama between, you know, all all set in this area, this this valley, that for some inexplicable reason is obsessed with youth karate. Which makes no sense. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember karate being that big of a deal growing up in the '80s, let alone now or any time since. And and it's so fun. But but again, it's like they're kind of aware of that. They'll have characters will kind of say things here and there that just comment on the absurdity of it. And it's it's just a fun thing. It's a fun ride. And yeah. and so I'm, I it's from from what I can tell, they left season five in a place where we could have another season. And so I. I hope they can keep going as long as it uh, keeps the quality up. But, um, mm -hmm. but getting back to Wrath of Khan, um, one thing that I hadn't paid super close attention to, but is a little bit more relevant with my uh, second choice, uh, the special effects for Wrath of Khan were done by Industrial Light and Magic, um, which most people know is the company that did all the Star Wars special effects and then, of course, went on to do a whole lot of other stuff. And... Uh, so the other thing I've been watching lately, there is a series on, on Disney Plus uh, that is kind of this history of industrial light and magic. It's just called Light and Magic. Um, really not uh, too, <laughs> too daring a title, I guess. <laughs> pretty, pretty on the nose. Um, I'm, I want to say it's about a half dozen different episodes. Each one's about an hour long. Uh, so not a super long series, but... But really, really well done, and, and effectively, it just kind of chronologically tells the story of how the company got started, um, how they were able to kind of get through the first run of Star Wars movies, and then how they branched out, um, not only into different franchises and films, but in different technologies. And and that's one of the things that I think is a particular interest to you know people like us is just kind of seeing how how critical that they have been to the way that movies are made. And, uh, and so it's, it's especially fun to watch the first couple episodes because they're talking about how the company and the technology was really just kind of invented on the fly because before Star Wars was made, none of this existed. I mean, they really hadn't done a serious science fiction movie since 
2001 a space odyssey and so a lot of this you know there one of the i guess you call it a plot point is that you know they had spent a substantial amount of the star wars budget just building the equipment to do the effects and mm-hmm. hadn't even done any of the effects and so like after george lucas had done you know taking care of principal shooting and spending all this time in england he comes out to california and meets all these hippies who have been spending all of his money and they've got like two shots done and that like the movie's got to come out in six months you know and so oh my gosh but but the the reason is because it took so long to get through the process of of inventing the technology and so lots of great behind the scenes footage and insights and so i especially love those first couple episodes um the funny thing and now i still really like the series and still absolutely recommend it as an excellent documentary series but i was kind of surprised to find that I was a little bit conflicted about where things went later on because after ILM kind of gets up and running and starts doing other projects like Star Trek II and all this and they talk about Willow and and different things they eventually start getting into the area where computer generated effects take the place of practical effects and of course in the documentary series Everything is very upbeat and optimistic and, and very, oh, the, the, the next frontier. And this is so exciting. We can do all this stuff we could never do before. And your, your imagination has no limits. And, and, and they do, to their credit, comment on how uh, some of the people at ILM really struggle with the, the transition. I think it was Phil Tippett, um, who was kind of one of the main kind of a monster shop kind of practical effects guys and and people could kind of see how, okay, well, if they don't make the transition over to computer stuff, that they're not going to have a job anymore. Um, but what I, what I found interesting was that while I absolutely, you know, adore and love the effects in, in Jurassic Park and, uh, you know, Terminator 2 is a lot of fun because they kind of talk about that one being a landmark and, and some later stuff. And, of course, I absolutely acknowledge how, how much you can do with CGI they didn't really seem to acknowledge in the documentary, at least that just because ILM did it well and appropriately the first time that you can make the argument that a lot of people have either done it poorly or have taken it too far over the years where I think that we have a lot of our movies are saturated with not just mediocre computer generated effects, but an overemphasis on the computer generated effects um, to kind of tie back mm-hmm. to, you know, one of these things that we've, we've loved about when we talked about Maverick was the fact that everything in that movie looks real and largely because it is real. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember when the, the latest Mad Max movie came out a few years ago and they made such a big deal out of it because it was practical effects and it wasn't just CGI. And, and trust me, I mean, I, I love CGI. I think they've, you know, I, I, I love the way that they did it in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, where it was using CGI to kind of enhance a real life backdrop. Mm-hmm. But it, it does seem to me like, especially when we kind of look at a lot of the uh, superhero genres and, and, and even even a lot of the you know Star Wars movies and stuff, that there's this huge emphasis on, okay, well, let's just take some actors and put them in front of a green screen or a blue screen or whatever. And everything else looks cool, but we just know that, well, this is just really, really good animation. It's not mm-hmm. real in the sense that it feels like a real environment. And and that to me was just kind of, 
Yeah, I mean, it's I I see I it, they didn't really seem to acknowledge the the downside. It was more just kind of yeah. like off we go and everything's yeah. going to be awesome. So yeah, no, I have so many thoughts about this, and I'm yeah. so glad that you're bringing this up because I feel very passionately about practical effects over CG effects. Because like you know, you see Jurassic Park and it holds up so well today. Yeah. But then you see the first Jurassic World and it doesn't look that good anymore, you know? Yeah. So like, I mean, it just, it, it totally dates a movie. It's so lazy. And um, the movie that I watched this week, and I'll, I'll get back to it because like there's a lot I want to cover, but um, probably the best thing about it was that it was like all practical effects. It was stunt work. Like I, cause I had to, I had to double check. So I was watching behind the scenes footage okay. and like, the warehouse that they're in was real. There were actual flames. Do you know how much I missed like real flames real on set? <laughs> like pyrotechnics? No, but like that's something sure. I loved from like the adventure genre. Like the mummy, you know, made me so happy when I went and saw that one. And, um, you know, that scene in um, The Last Crusade where, um, you know, Indy's there with his dad and there's like the fire around them. Like I just, I mm -hmm. love pyrotechnics so much. Yeah. And they had that in this movie. And I was just like, I started to tear up because I was just so happy to see that in a modern film. And I'm not even kidding. Like, Ryan came up to me and he's like, are you crying? And I didn't even realize it because I was just so and you, happy And you just said, the that. fire is real. The fire, the the fire is, is real. real. I feel the flames. Oh, man. So you, you'd just be weeping all through backdraft. <laughs> um, yeah. So I yeah. don't have a soul after all. It's just for practical effects. Mm -hmm. Well, no, and, and and like I said, I, I think that there are, I think that there are two points that I would make in general about about the, the discussion, the issue, right? And, yeah. and and the first is kind of like I alluded to before with Lord of the Rings, where I I strongly prefer CGI plugged into a real environment versus yeah. real people plugged into a CGI environment. You know, because because the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the original one came out, you know, kind of concurrent with the prequel trilogy for Star Wars, which looked so cool. I mean, you know, the things they were able to do with, but but again, it still looked like animation. Really, really good animation, but still animation. And so there was kind of a depth to it that was lacking that just, and that's that's one of the reasons that I, I enjoyed what J.J. Abrams and, the, and how they did with the newer ones, just because there was, there was more of a switch back to, it. at least it felt more like kind of real environments. But then the other thing is that, you know, it's not necessarily that the, the effects, that computer effects the, themselves are inherently bad. But I think that by opening the door and saying, hey, now we can do stuff with computers instead of just practically, that opened up the door to a lot of kind of inferior productions to do lousy computer effects, right? Because if everything looked as good as Jurassic Park, no complaints, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, we'd be totally fine with it. But the problem is that we have all these other crappy subpar movies that just have completely just junk effects that, and and it's kind of the easy default. And you know, I mean, yeah, you got to be able to work with the budget. But yeah. I think that I think that the product has suffered as a result of that. But yeah, uh, yeah. well, I mean, even thinking about something kind of recent because it's not just like lesser than companies but like you know she hulk is getting a lot of heat right now because oh, right. they're you know they're cg and like that's not the beef that i have with that show i have so many other issues that i could go into about that show but 
as Mark will probably point out, I haven't watched it, so I can't talk about it, so I won't. But <laughs> just as far as, like, the storyline of what's going on with that, like, it's it's really interesting what happened there because, like, um, the writer was basically told, like, you get this blank check to just write this show, please, because we want content and just, like, put it out. And... Um, then once they're, you know, done filming and they're editing and it's like, oh, we need to like hurry and get this out. Um, you know, mm. they're running out of time. They're running out of money. It's going to be the CG department that's going to kind of take the fall on that. They're not going right, to have the right. time that they need. They're not going to have the money that they need. And so because of that, like it, it does look really bad. And that's tied to Disney. That's tied to Marvel, you know. So I, I yeah, I you're think, right. Yeah. So it's not just these like lesser than because like we've seen plenty of stuff from like the 80s and 90s where it's like, oh, that's kind of cheesy and and bad. And, you know, we find it very funny now. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think for the stuff now, you know, because the technology is so readily available, it's like, oh, we don't need to worry about this as much. But then that's the part that I have issue with is like this isn't going to look good in a month. You know, this yeah. isn't going to mm -hmm. look good in the trailer. They don't so. have the same excuses. Right. Yeah. There's, there's there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to put up a, a full blown yeah. top top flight production. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But uh, but but like I said, I mean, even though I, I mean, and not as you think about it, you can't I guess that I have to give the production credit for highlighting how a lot of the employees at ILM really struggled with the transition. You know, I mean, they were very, they oh, were yeah. very upfront about that. Mm -hmm. And I, and so I can't really say, oh, well, they were obligated to also talk about the downside of CGI, but it, it was something that I felt that I just thought about as a result of seeing it. However, the fact that I thought about that would not make me hesitate to recommend it because it's still a really cool series, especially those first few oh, yeah. episodes. And so I think just if you have, if you have any interest, not just in star Wars or sci-fi franchises or anything, but if, if you have an interest in film production to any degree, uh, this is a fantastic documentary series to check out. And so I would, I would absolutely recommend it, even if there is a slightly yeah. depressing element to it. <laughs> that's well, but that's I, just real life, right? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, it's funny, it's, maybe it's a microcosm of what actually happens in many industries, because mm -hmm. as computers become more and more powerful and available and adaptable to different things, like, they do kind of take over jobs where maybe it used to be done manually or, you know, like with practical effects in movies. Right. Um, and so I could see that it could be a, a source of um, unhappiness for some of these workers. It kind of reminds me of have you guys, have you ever heard of Rick Baker? Sure. I remember oh, yeah. reading about him. He was a, a great special effects uh, makeup designer, won a whole bunch of Oscars. Mm -hmm. The main thing I remember about him is he, he did Harry from Harry and the Henderson. Okay. But he's done like dozens and dozens of movies. Lots of horror movies, lots of, you know, sci-fi type now, movies. Did he do American Werewolf in London or was that yes. somebody else? That was actually his first Oscar. Okay. American okay. Werewolf in London. Because so, I think they mentioned him in, in this series. Oh, they probably did yeah. because he's one of the people that left the the, the Hollywood basically okay. because he just said it was you know the new CG was kind of pushing him out and he really wasn't willing to fully adapt over to yeah. computers. Now it's not that it would have put That's him out of a job; he probably could have, <laughs> but like he did actual makeup and actual hair and fur on the creatures that he would create and 
you know, he was really into that. And that's what he was known for, for his entire career. And, and he was in his 60s. It wasn't like he, he he's looking for other stuff to do. He basically just retired, <laughs> you know. You find him on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah, that's Please, that's someone give him work. <laughs> and, then, and then also to kind of follow up on the Jurassic Park discussion, one thing I think that is so perfect and ingenious about Jurassic Park is it really is a, the best of both worlds. Because oh, yeah. there are animatronic dinosaurs. Right that were used in it, and, and you can tell they're real. I mean, you could almost like reach out and touch them, and there's a few, but there's also many CG dinosaurs, and that was really the first movie to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, like the Gallimimus. I, I remember that scene where these the, the fast kind of bird-like dinosaurs are running through the field and running around Sam Neill and, mm-hmm. and everything. Those aren't animatronic. I mean, you just <laughs> couldn't make imagine. them that fast, right, right. right? But a big, Although, slow dinosaur that... Although you, you, know, do, you do see a scene in the uh, in the documentary where you see some of the crew acting like those birds and like acting out the scene which is oh, just hilarious i bet that's Cause they're, funny because they're like because they're running out. over logs and yeah, yeah they're blocking yeah. and yeah. they're all doing like they're all like like this and you know it's well, it's it's right. fun stuff it's fun and, and i remember something from the jurassic park behind the scenes where they were looking at like i think the kind of like claymation stuff for what ended up being the CG stuff. Right, right. So, and those guys kind of talked about like how, you know, we're, we're at a job, out of a job. So like that line is kind of like inserted by um, oh, ex- Dr. Oh, Malcolm. Oh, I feel where extinct. He's, yeah. Yes. Yeah, where it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. it's yeah. like we're at a, out of a job, don't you mean yes. extinct? Right. And it's like, that was actually the kind of conversation they had mm-hmm. in that department That's, because of the CG. Yeah. So like there was Very definitely meta. that evolution going on there. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. No, in fact, I mean, we, you know, we keep talking about Jurassic Park, and so I keep thinking of yeah. related things. And I mean, <laughs> no, well, no, because because one of the, the I think the biggest compliments I can give to that movie is that not only are the effects good, but when you think about how infamously bad some of the CG from movies several years later was, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the the special editions of the original Star Wars movies couldn't have come out at a worse time because all of the, you know, other than the stuff they did in Empire Strikes Back, which was pretty, you know, it, it, not really heavy CG, but like the CG characters in Return of the Jedi and, and, and the little cutaways in, in A New Hope, just so dated. I think, I think Danny, that was the, the ter- yeah. term you used was that it's just so dated and just kind of, it seems so rooted in its time. And so you just, it's the giveaway right away that, oh, okay, yeah, I can tell when that was done. And uh, ouch. But, uh, but let's, let's, let's swing in a more positive direction. Danny, I think you got a couple of I, – I know that I personally am very excited to hear the results of the Rocky Marathon. So yeah. mm-hmm. would you please satiate my desire? <laughs> no, absolutely. That took me quite a while. Like it took me a full two weeks to finish that. Marathon. I mean, also, like, I just started school and everything, but there was just, yeah, so many to get through. So I did, like, first Rocky all the way up to Rocky Balboa. Okay. get to Creed. But, like, my main focus was just about, well, first of all, I started watching it just because of, like, the theme in the first Rocky movie. Yeah. But then, uh, like I kind of say in my review on Patreon, if you want to check it out, I have, like, a full, basically, dissertation there. Honestly, if I ever go to graduate school, I think I'm going to do um, my thesis just on, like, Rocky as a character. Because, oh, my goodness, it was incredible. Like, <laughs> Danny, no, I, I, I want to be, I mean I wanna so be on genuine. your committee. 
I want to be on your committee if you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Please. No, and it was just so fascinating. And I don't know if it's because, like, I'm older or, like, I was paying closer attention or whatever. But, like, just every little line just added to his character. It added to the world. Um, It's just, it's so beautifully written. It's so good. And, um, and of course, like, I had to do some deep dives into interviews with Sylvester Stallone. Um, there's one in particular from the 70s um, on uh, the BBC uh, where, um, you know, he's just talking about everything he sacrificed to try to make sure he had this role. Um, he even said, like, um, because he had so many bills to pay and everything and he wasn't paid that much for the role, um, that he's like, I, I came out of it, like, with $200 more than what I had before it, you know? And um, just, man, such a sweet guy. And and he, he was saying these things about how he was just so unimpressed with the things that Hollywood was showing at the time. He's like, you know, it's so vulgar. It's um, anti-American, anti-Christ, you know, just like all these things where it's like, you know, whatever happened to just something that's so classically good based in morality and just all this stuff. And like, you know, that's something that I just love. So it was just like, just so sweet and pure. And I just, I loved that so much. And a big thing that I did with this marathon is that I finally got to watch Rocky Five, which in my house growing up, we pretended didn't exist. (laughs) And I loved it. I thought it was so good. Like, but not your favorite, (laughs) but not your favorite, right? It's not my favorite. I love the first one. The That's first okay. one is just so special. But, like, I liked it more than Rocky Balboa. But I feel like the things that were interesting about Rocky Balboa were set up in five. So there's just this, like, perfect continuous story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions with it. So, like, my husband didn't want to watch it with me at first because he thought, like, Polly gambled things away. But actually it was, like, a power of attorney issue. Like, no. I mean, it totally was something kind of different. And, and so, like, I, I mean, I just, I love the setups. And I think what worked out really well is that, like, we went back to Philadelphia. We went back to Rocky kind of scrappy. And there's a bit of nostalgia with it. He puts on his old clothes. He's going down the old streets, talking to, you know, old people, right? So, I don't know. So, it, maybe it's a little nostalgia bait in that way. But, like, I don't know. It made sense. I think it's when Rocky does best is when he's, like, kind of scrappy, right? Um uh, yeah, I, I liked the lead up to the street fight, actually. I thought that was great. And then it was just shot so poorly in the like last third of it. I'm like, maybe that's why people don't like it, where it looks like a poorly shot rap video. I don't know. It was the <laughs> 90s, you know? But like, I just, maybe I thought it was Maybe it's barely, so... wasn't it? Was it like 1990? Just, yeah, like, it was 1990. Up? Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing, too, is like, that was his third decade playing the character. So it wasn't like 30 years, but like he did in the 70s, 80s, and now mm-hmm. 90s. Yeah. And it just, I don't know. I thought the story made a lot of sense. I thought it was cool. So no, there, I, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think that my, my guess, I mean, cause I haven't read a lot of reviews of it. I just kind of can respond to what I saw, but like, yeah, my, my guess is that a lot of people push back against it because it kind of departs from the formula, right? Like instead of having kind of a big showdown in the ring, that's for the title mm-hmm. or whatever, that he's in a street fight out in the, you know, which is a cool different twist, right? And like, mm-hmm. if you like to have, have him kind of play, something different. That's great. Um, I, 
you know, I, I, I think that the Tommy Gunn character wasn't nearly as, as memorable as, you know, Ivan Drago and, and Clubber Lang and, and Dude, Apollo. Dude, Clubber Lang? Best Wasn't he the best? Lines. Oh, my God. I, I like, adore I the scene so where he starts hitting on Adrian, where, where they're right. unveiling the statue, and, and he comes out of the crowd and starts taunting Rocky. And then he starts like I can't even remember how it happens, but he winds up like picking up on Adrian right in front of Rocky just to troll him. Yep. Like you want a real man, and just like and, and that's when he decides like so you're on. Funny. It is yeah. match. Oh time. yeah. Because no, I love that... that about Rocky. Like, um, <laughs> like the thing that really stood out to me in the first one, and I think this set up everything, where like you know he's having this interview with Apollo. And they're kind of like teasing him because he's not very smart, right? Yeah. And then Adrian asks him, she's like, does that bother you? And he's like, nah. And then as he's leaving, he he kind of quietly tells her like, oh, it does hurt me. And it's like, it just hurts your yeah. soul. But that's when you see everything more from his perspective. And for the rest of the series where it's like, you know, he's not very smart. Like, you know, he tries to do the ads and he can't read it. Right. You know, right. he can't read the cue cards, you know, <laughs> but like. You feel so much for him where it's like, you know, he's, he may not be, you know, super smart, but he's not ignorant. And so, um, man, where was I going with this? There was a point with it. With Cleverling. I can't remember. Oh, and then, but like he chooses to like just hold his peace all the time. But like, you know, you pick on Adrian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Down. No. And their, Mm -hmm. and their relationship really is one of the strongest points of the whole series, you know, just kind of a driving point. And, and, and really... I mean, you can you can make a pretty easy argument that the first movie isn't even a sports movie. I mean, I, I think oh, yeah. of it as my favorite sports movie of all time, but I also think that it's not necessarily a sports movie because it's, you know, and it's not just a love story either. I mean, I wouldn't say that the relationship with him and Adrian is is the biggest focus of the plot, but there's just so much more to the movie than yeah. boxing or, mm-hmm. or anything else. And, yeah. and I mean, I... I adore so many of the sequels. Probably the third one is my favorite, but I still kind of see it as there's the first Rocky and then there's everything else because they just, it seems like they're very different, you know, especially by, by the, by the third one and the fourth one there, there's so much more of kind of a tongue in cheek, you know, they're kind of, kind of cheesy cheesiness that, uh, that the first one is just so 100% sincere. Sincere. Yeah. But, uh, Mark, you're going to say something. It, it's really an, an underdog movie. Because if you think yeah. about it, an underdog movie doesn't have to be a sports movie. It could be about somebody climbing to the top of a of a company or something, working yeah. their way to the top. Like It's really a, an underdog, kind of heart of a champion comeback or com- on the come up type of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember my, my dad, um, my parents got married that year in 1976. And they went and saw that movie. And mm-hmm. my dad said it was one of the best theatrical experiences of his life because the whole crowd was into it they were cheering with almost every punch and one of the great scenes too is because you know how apollo creed picks rocky just as sort of a random like let's give this this you know this nobody a chance and we'll 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 get the best ratings and blah 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 and then like rocky pretty early in the fight knocks apollo down and it's like oh this is real like yeah this guy can fight you know and and my dad said it was just great like People were into it and cheering. And at one at one point, my dad turned to my mom and he said, "If Rocky loses, I'm never going to another movie." 
you know, because <laughs> it's like you absolutely at that oh, point no. you want Rocky to beat Apollo, and so I didn't know until I saw it. Like luckily I wasn't spoiled. I never knew until I actually saw the movie. Oh, he he doesn't win, but he kind yeah. of doesn't care because he proved they could go yeah, the distance. That, that wasn't well, the objective. He yeah, just right, yeah, right. He just wanted to go yeah. the distance. He wanted to go the distance, go fifteen rounds. They both injure each other basically, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, he just wants to find Adrian. Like at the very end, it's just he he just needs to be with Adrian, you know, and so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's the best of all of them. I, I think they all have their kind of, their good, their good virtues. I mean, oh, yeah. the one I remember watching when I was little in the theater was Rocky four. That was kind of my, and it that was seems my like one more people was... know more about that one than any yeah. others. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it's true. The Russian yeah. one. That's the, that's the Russian yeah. one. Where, where he wins the know, Cold USA. War. Yeah. He wins the Cold War. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> no, but, but to kind of tie into that patriotism, Danny, you said something that I'm, I'm glad you brought up because I think that first movie, it, it's, is one of those, the more, like the older I get and the more I learn about the context of the times in which I was born, I realized that kind of like you were describing how that was kind of an era when people needed kind of a patriotic or otherwise pick me up, right? Because well, we're, and think mm-hmm. about the fight too. Just, it's the bicentennial fight. Exactly. Right? You know, and, like and that, we're we're coming out of the yeah. we're coming out of the the Vietnam War. We're coming out of Watergate and all this, and and just about to go into the inflation. You know, if we want to have something a little bit more contemporary to comment on, right? From yeah. forty years ago, and so I think that as good as Rocky is just objectively on its own, you realize that in the context of its time, I could really see people getting excited about this and just having, you know, cause people said the same thing about star right. Wars where it was kind of like, this was an opportunity to, to be, to be happy, to be positive. You know, of course, then a couple of years later they had the the miracle on ice and all that. And, and it was described as these different pop culture things that kind of cheered up a country that needed a boost at the time. Yeah. yeah. The weird thing about that, though, is is the American character is not the hero, right? Apollo Creed is the the American giving the Italian stallion a, a chance, you know, a million to one shot, and he and Apollo's the one prancing around in his American flag uh, robe and cape or whatever. Yeah, and but, I think, but I think it's pretty. Apollo. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I but I think it's pretty transparent that yeah. that the patriotism that that apollo represents is more of kind of like the the two-dimensional capitalistic you know the the salesmanship the showmanship mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. rocky is the heart of a of like the american dream right is just doesn't yeah. have to be doesn't have to have everything but but just like it's just like we said when he wants to go the distance right yeah it's a it's a very humble dream and and relatable and yeah no just and i guess i mean we think about it he's the italian stallion but he's not italian i mean he's from philadelphia (laughs) right no i don't see i don't think he represents italy he doesn't represent italy but i mean it's it is it's almost like if you think about a lot of times when the american dream is spoken of it's actually Uh by like say second generation immigrants or or it's by people that are like well this is why i came here this is why i came to this country i I believe in here anywhere yeah, from The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, I, bl- I I have the best opportunity of anywhere in the world, and so, yeah, it's 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 a very it is a very American story. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Rocky Four. It's 
um, American Rocky beating Russian Ivan Drago yeah. in uh, 1989 which is, or Which is such out. a ham-fisted way of, of being patriotic versus the first one, right? Because yeah. the first one is so sincere and subtle and thematic, whereas the fourth one is, let's basically have Rocky win the Cold War by himself, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And that's, that's kind of the way they, they portray it, and it's this ham-fisted, oh, yeah. you know... <laughs> And look at the poster for Rocky IV. The most right. prominent thing on the poster is the American flag. Oh, yeah. yeah. Draped all over his body, you know. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good times. Good times. Yeah. yeah. So so good choice. And I, I don't know. I might have to follow your lead. And I'm actually looking at my – because I've got – I have the Rocky Heavyweight Collection Blu-ray set. Um, mm. I'll have to see. I'm not sure if it has Rocky Balboa or not or if it just has the first five. But uh, – Mm-hmm. That that might be a, a trip I have to take as well. Mm. Especially one right after the other. That was kind of cool, and just seeing that continuous story and just, you know, it was it was really really fun. That was a special experience, and yeah, definitely something I want to experience again too. You know, it's not uh-huh. like a checked off sort of thing. But yeah, nice. but because of that, I was on this super like Stallone high, right? <laughs> And so I, I, and I knew about this. I think we talked about this movie a little bit when we did like our look ahead at the year. Okay. Because um, for this year, it was kind of interesting because there are a whole bunch of movies popping up that were like superhero themed, but not within DC and Marvel. Mm. I think it's just because, you know, it's such a huge thing in our, right. you know, culture right now, right? So there's this movie called Samaritan starring Sylvester Stallone where, um, there's this 13-year-old kid who lives in um, lives in the city, kind of like poor urban area, right? And um, he's obsessed with this superhero called the Samaritan um, who disappeared 25 years ago when he had his ultimate showdown with Nemesis. And I, I loved the names. Just, just saying, like... This movie is very, like, it's supposed to be very serious and very grounded, but there are, like, little sprinkles where it's, like, it's a superhero movie and there's kind of that cheesiness in the names. Loved them. They're great. (laughs) But anyhow, has a showdown with Nemesis, and everyone just assumes he died. And um, this kid is kind of, like, getting involved in some, like, gang stuff. There's some mean older teens. And um, the trash man who lives in his apartment complex comes over and, like, totally just beats these kids up, gets them off of him, like, um, bends this knife with his bare hands, and this kid's like, oh, my gosh, it's a Samaritan, right? <laughs> and so the whole movie is just him kind of following this this older guy around, Sylvester Stallone, and he's just like, we need you. We need you to be the superhero again and everything. And um, it's it feels very, um, like, unbreakable. Like, it was just... very like what would superheroes be like in the real world but i loved this angle because it's you know the retired superhero it's like what are we what's the world like in a post superhero world Hmm. you know we haven't really explored that territory much i didn't see logan i don't know if that did it but i was gonna say i almost wondered if that's that was similar to what you were describing yeah so um but I, i don't know it was just Oh, I really, really liked it. There are some things where it's like I didn't care for as much, but they're kind of 
spoiler territory and I don't want to draw attention to it because then I think people in their heads would be all like oh what's this thing that Danny's thinking of and like I want to catch it because like really just experience the movie and it's such it's just such a fun time um especially after watching Rocky like I think Sylvester Stallone just he's got great stage presence you know mm-hmm. I, I I think he's just he's so much fun especially in this role like it just suits him so well and um the practical effects side of things like it's it's real sets and like you know just like these you know very real outfits and even like the thing that just blew me away and was as i was like looking through the behind the scenes footage i saw a clip of a stuntman like being dropped like 30 feet in the air like you know harnessed and everything but falling onto a car and like smashing it right and it's like happening it's actually happening and they took that footage and they um, made it into this animation sequence at the start. Hmm. Um, so, like, it was a scene that could have totally been purely CG'd. It could have been just animated. But they actually kind of did, like, a rotoscope kind of thing, which is, like, you know, when you film the actor doing the thing and then you kind of, like, trace over it. I think it was, like, digitally traced over. But, like, the look that it gave, that opening sequence, even that felt so real and you knew what to expect from it where it's like this stuff is gonna happen and it makes me so happy when like you know stuntmen are like you know paid to actually be thrown through a wall by Sylvester Stallone like I mean I just (laughs) there's something about that that makes me so happy and like um uh the way that they were using the world to like you know fight people you know like going through the walls but also like just different items being like smashed against someone. Like, I don't know, it just, it looked so good. And like, you know, you could tell it's really thought out because it needed that choreography. It needed the correct camera movement. Um, So I just, I thought it was just so well made. And it's like on Amazon Prime. It was an Amazon Prime release. So I would have seen it in theaters. I, you know, I, I feel like most of the time with those kind of streaming releases, you're like, yeah, this, this is something you binge on Netflix, right? But, like, this one, like, it was legit. It was good. Well, um, so I, I haven't yeah. seen it, but when you mentioned it, I looked it up just to kind of do, you know, a little background prep. And, yeah. and one thing that kind of on that note of what you're saying, I noticed that it said that it had an estimated $100 million budget, you know. Oh, I thought it was $50 million. Um, thought it was 100 but. I don't know. Even if it's fifty million for a streaming yeah. movie, like that's—I guess yeah. that's what I mean—is that, and maybe maybe that's just indicative of the kind of the the point that we're at now, is just that these these streaming productions are going to be big budget productions, um, yeah. but showing up on Amazon Prime instead of the theaters. I mean, we, you know, I don't know if this is a good good segue, but uh, we were talking, you know, being. We're kind of about halfway through September now and talking about, well, what's what's coming up, right? You know, and, and I think we just off the top of our heads, we could think of things coming up more towards the holidays mm-hmm. and some and, you know, a handful of things that are that are going to be, you know, I think uh, one of our next episodes, I'll talk about Don't Worry, Darling, which is supposed to be a, a horror movie um, uh, directed by Olivia, the actress. Oh, my gosh. Wild. Olivia, Olivia Wilde. Wild. Yeah, right, right. Um, and so... Some horror movie, you know, the the third in the the new Halloween trilogy, and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, the invitation I mean, just came out, and that's right, also right. Horror 
nice. And so, well, and so aside from just the horror theme, it seems like what's coming out isn't necessarily just theatrical, that the the bigger things are streaming, right? You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know we haven't even really talked about the new Lord of the Rings series on, on Amazon yet, partially because I haven't watched it. Um, and I don't plan to. Sorry. I'm, I'm no, I'm kind of right now feeling the same way. I, I, I don't know I'm converting people. I'm yes. I'm gonna give it a shot. I mean I, I, I know a budget like isn't everything, but it is has a ridiculous like billion dollar budget yeah. or something. And yeah. Yeah. I it's gotten some good reviews and I think I don't know how many episodes they've released. Do you know who but... gave the reviews though? They're people that Amazon flew out to go to a premiere. And like they treated them to hotels and gift baskets, baskets, and watched it on a big screen. And no, then no, as I'm... soon as it was released to everyone else, it got review bombed, and Amazon like blocked IMDb reviews because they have to have this succeed because it's so expensive. Well, I, I just I, I just wanna... saw the trailer and thought it looked lousy. <laughs> So it is lousy. Just, it's so lousy. That's that's what's that's what's made me hesitant. Is I just I remember I'm seeing sorry. a trailer about six months ago and just thinking, ooh, I was kind of excited about this, but now I don't know. But Mark, Mark, you were gonna. Sorry, yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah. So and, like you some end up of the reviews, and I'll feel bad. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Some of the reviews, it's funny because like there is an audience score review that's low, and one of the problems with like Rotten Tomatoes is sometimes the review bombing is uh, like almost like a fake coordinated attack. I don't know if that happened in this movie, but sometimes the review bombing, sometimes the audience score can be trusted even less than the critic score. Um, because oh, that's of interesting. That's an interesting take because I've always heard it the other way around, but yeah. that's interesting. And, and, I, and I don't know in this case, because um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure I've seen reviews from people who probably weren't flown out. Like, I don't know about like the Ringer crew, the ringer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so like, I, I'm going to give it a shot, but it's, yeah, I've, there's plenty of TV series where I've watched one or two and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to keep watching this. So yeah. we'll see. Um, you can be our canary in the coal mine, Mark. Yeah, I, exactly. I can. Yeah. I, I do have a friend who's a big J.R. Tolkien fan and he doesn't love it and he just wishes they would do the Silmarillion. That's yeah. what that like, Ryan it? was thinking. Yeah. He's yeah. like super into all the other works by... Uh, Tolkien that's like why aren't we doing those yeah and I know there's also kind of the concern that it's it's woke and that they've deliberately introduced uh, different types of neurodiverse or you know different characters that J.R. Tolkien wouldn't but I'm like they I offended mean, the Irish community too and it what? was oh like it, it was just so offensive because they like oh. have all these like staged irish accents and, and it's like the hobbits and they're all like dirty and filthy and it's like can we move <laughs> past this stereotype please like it's just oh that's funny well i i i just don't think i mean i think there's there's different races of people created like the, oh, i mean yeah. there are orcs and hobbits yeah. so who cares i don't care if it's like there's a black hobbit or or whatever you know what i mean like yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure I can get past that, but yeah, yeah I'll, I'll well, give it a shot. Here's the implication for that, too. I'm sorry. I keep like, I've been thinking about this a lot. But like, the implication for that is if they have all this diversity here, what horrific event happened where we don't see that diversity with <laughs> the more white population of Peter Jackson? Seriously, because then you just wipe out entire like skin tones. Like, I mean, 
I think that's maybe worse. maybe it's explained. What if it okay. is? I don't know. I don't know. That's that's season that, two. That's the that's, that's the other problem. Two. Is is <laughs> it pay, it pales in comparison when you're thinking of the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings movies and how great they are. Yeah, Which it's almost impossible to make a TV series right. that's that yeah. good. You know, like so. If it's even close to it, it's probably going to be fine. But true. Yeah. Well, you'll have to let us know what you think. Yeah. Okay. And uh, maybe I'll. I'm, I'm. I might be inclined to take your recommendation more than the the general internet. So we'll see. <laughs> but, but I'm not I'll promising you know. anything. Uh, <laughs> in, in the meantime, anything else coming up that we're excited about? Maybe just even in your lives. Any anything you're thinking about writing about? Thinking about seeing. I will say there are some like star-studded things that are coming up if we do want to be informative with that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we talked coming? a little bit about see how they run, which is like mm-hmm. based on a play, right? Like, in, like I believe, yeah. yes, kinda. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to my knowledge, can't... they did not screen that for us because otherwise, oh. I would be talking about that one this week. Yeah, yeah. there. I, you know, I there's kind of a run of murder mystery movies coming out. We maybe we could talk about that next time, but there's oh, going to yeah. be a lot yeah. coming out in the next two or three months. And that this one, I, I can't tell really if it's like a parody or a farce, but it looks like it has some comedy in it. And it's got Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan, and it's about a murderer who's targeting members of a cast, like a cast of a West End production okay. in London. So yeah, I, I, it's coming out, I believe, on the 16th. So. Yeah. yeah. And Amsterdam is kind of the same way where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, send the 30s, friends witness a murder, um, all star cast for that one. Um, so, yeah, we got that. There's also the Woman King coming out. Right. Which is right. the uh, Viola, Viola Davis. Davis one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't Worry Darling has kind of been on my mm-hmm. radar a little bit. Just for like the visual uh, stuff that looks really, really cool. And then. Um, Bring it back to superhero stuff. Black Adam, I think, is one of. Oh, I think right. it's only it's like the biggest one that's coming out until we got like Wakanda Forever, but that's uh-huh. in a little ways. So yeah, and okay, then just a well, whole bunch of random stuff. But um, before we get too far away from Mr. Sylvester Stallone, oh, have you watched Over the Top? No. You have to watch Over the Top. Okay. That's where he plays a champion arm wrestler. And I want you to report back on over the top when you see it. Did he train for it? Like, does he have just like one really big arm and like oh, one? Sylvester arm? Stallone doesn't need to train for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least back then he didn't. Back then he didn't. Oh my um, goodness. No, but uh, yeah, because that's that's one of those. It's it's kind of Rocky adjacent, right? Where they're yeah. kind of taking the same underdog, sports related type thing, except now it's arm wrestling. <laughs> And he's a trucker. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, but anyway, on that note, uh, so we'll we'll be reporting back on on that and more. Yeah. But uh, but in the meantime, if you haven't already, give us a positive rating on iTunes or Spotify or where YouTube or whatever whatever corner of the dark internets you are you are partaking. <laughs> Send me a note of by our... pigeon. Yes, yes. Whatever <laughs> it takes, get us. Uh, you know. Give us some love, and and we'll just keep returning the love through our our buttery voices on these <laughs> these weekly podcasts, talking about stuff, and uh, just hope you're doing good wherever you're at. And we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.